Hey folks, just a quick note to let you know you can now support the podcast by shopping on Amazon.com. Just go to the specific page on Nerdist.com for this episode, click on the Amazon banner and shop as you normally would, and Daddy gets a taste. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Today we've got round two from a show recorded March 22nd, 2014 at the Blue Monk in Portland, Oregon. And speaking of Portland, I'll be back on August 24th, 2014 at the gorgeous Doug Fur Lounge. But now let's go back to the last Portland show featuring Noriko Ott, Sean Jordan, Paul J., Christian Ricketts, Christine Levine, and Beth Stelling reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions. So first you'll hear them draw topics and then we'll fast forward into the future to hear the finished pieces. Enjoy. Tonight, it will make a list of stupid suggestions next time. Uh, your first option, Paul, is Ed Snowden. WikiLeaks. Not into it? Um, not so many voters about that one. Uh, your second option is Frozen. So, but who would like to hear Ed Snowden? Not even the person that suggested it. Bethany, your first option is workaholics. Like I've seen it. Oh, this is tough, you know, because like, what's the other one? We don't know. Walk us through your process. But also, like that presidential election thing, they could have just made up some people that were running. We need to live in the now, Beth. We only have ninety minutes. Okay. Uh... Am I drawing a second one? Your second option is Coachella. I think that's going to be it, if you let me have that. Uh, you don't get to say at this point, we leave it to the proletariat. Who wants to hear Coachella? <laughs> yeah. Who wants to hear Workaholics? Me! <laughs> Write it on your phone time, my friend. Coachella. Chris yeah. Ricketts. Hey. Christian, your first option is Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> I 
I think it'd be fun if we hear a second suggestion. All right. Okay. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. <laughs> There's also a bunch of dicks in the background. <laughs> okay, do you guys want to hear about pedophilia or not? I guess that's the question right now. Do you want to hear a lot about pedophilia? So, who wants to hear Pinky in the Brain? <laughs> who wants to hear Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Thank you. Uh, now, normally I would allow this, but this is getting to be a trend in Portland. Uh, last time, the first suggestion drawn was uh, Shane Torres' gross ponytail. Uh, this time, uh, I got Brian Cook's gorgeous beard. Uh, but we're not going to allow it. Look, if you want to see cum crusted in this beard, just hang on after the show. Right? It was going to be in my story anyway. <laughs> Well, then it's going to be horse cum, because your first option is Mr. Ed. <laughs> Let's see what the next one is, just in case. All right. They'll both be in my story anyway. Uh, parks and Recreation. So, who wants to hear Mr. Ed? Who wants to hear Parks and Rec? Mr. Ed it is. Go make his lips move, Noriko. Sean Jordan, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, your first option is President Obama. Let's see, let's see what the second one is. Uh, Martha Stewart. Who wants to hear President Obama? Martha Stewart. Christine, your first option is Beetlejuice. Your first round two competitor, Mr. Sean Jordan. That's a stupid mic work. I don't know how to get it higher. I'm a tall guy. All right. Martha Stewart. Hey guys. Welcome to this grown up edition of Five Living with Martha Stewart. We're going to live a little dirty today. I got to tell you, I'm just moist as a snack cake getting ready. It's going to be fun, guys. It's going to be a real fun episode. <laughs> I, uh, I got a lot of little ditties that I picked up when I was uh, doing a little time in prison. <laughs> doing my couple months in the box on some trumped-up bullshit charges. <laughs> Learn a lot about yourself in prison, you know what I mean? It's fun. I did a lot of reading, a lot of self-reflection. And uh, I guess when I get fisted, I like the people to open their hand up inside me. So. <laughs> I learned that. So. What we're going to do today, I'm going to teach you guys how to make a little treat. It's called soggy biscuit. Okay. We're going to tackle the soggy biscuit. All right. And uh, what I want you to do, okay, I want you guys to go down to your local commissary, wherever that is. Just go to your closest commissary. 
to where you live, and uh, you're going to need some ingredients, okay? You're going to want to get yourself a box of Trisets, okay? Pick up, pick up a whole box of Trisets. Treat yourself, you know? Have a you day, you know what I mean? You're going to want to get some quick creep, okay? Because you're going to need to mix up some sort of, like, cement floors for, like, a prison cell, something like that. Your basement can work in a pinch, uh, laundry room, whatever, you know. Just a hard cement surface is basically what you You want to grab yourself an orange jumpsuit, okay? Get your hands on one of those. You're going to need that. And uh, you're going to want to get some body wash, uh, some stew, some shampoo, some mayo, whatever works, whatever whatever gets things going a little bit, you know? Hell, just start crying, all right? Whatever, whatever you can get all over a penis and sort of make that up and down motion a lot easier for everybody involved. Right? All right, get your hands on some of that. Uh, if you're broke, uh, just bring some stuff from home to maybe barter. Chocolate milk, single cigarettes work really good to get you stuff. So they'll probably take that down at your local commissary. And uh, the last thing you're going to need, all right? You're going to want to get about seven, eight, or nine real jacked up, like, mouth-breathing dickhead security guard guys on there. Get about nine of them, okay? You don't want to round them up. You know, the kind of guy that looks like he'd fuck a warm bowl of soup if he had to. You want nine of those guys. Now, after you get all your ingredients, immediately try to forget some of the soul-crushing stuff you had to do to get your hands on those ingredients. So, uh, it's not going to help you out when it comes soggy biscuit time. You know what I mean? So the first thing, first thing you want to do, you want to get that, uh, get all the stuff back to your home, and you're going to pull that shank out of your prison pocket that you've been stashed up there so fiercely, you know what I mean? God's little hiding place. Uh, or prison pocket. Or nature's hiding place if you haven't found God yet. And if you haven't, then you haven't been to prison like I have. Find God, get your life right. Second thing you want to do, you want to kind of open that, uh, that little box of Triscuits, all right? You're going to pull one out, just one Triscuit, one little Triscuit, and uh, take the rest of the box, stash it under your mattress where she can't find it, or whoever can't find it. <laughs> and then the third thing you want to do, you want to mix up that quick creep, all right? Mix it up. Get uh, get in there real deep, you know what I mean? Don't be afraid to use a little elbow grease. Don't, uh, don't forget how many beans you have to flick in prison, all right? You're strong. <laughs> use those muscles, ladies, all right? You mix up that quick creep nice and good. The fourth thing you want to do, you want to get that lube out. All right, that mayo, that stew, whatever you got, you know what I mean. You're gonna want to give it. Uh, you're gonna want to give it to those mouth breathers, those piece of shit security guards that you round up, those idiots, those snitches, those no good losers. All right, get those guys. And uh, you're gonna want them all to start stroking down. All right, just have them furiously, furiously masturbate. Okay. And if they if they can't do it themselves, sometimes sometimes nerds like that get a little nervous. They can't rock up. You might need to get in there and help them out, ladies. All right. Don't be scared to get your dick beaters dirty. You know what I mean. You get in there. A little ski pole action, you know what I mean? And finally, you just want to wait for all those security guard idiots to shoot their dumb little snitch semen all over that biscuit that you got laying on the floor. All right. Yeah, it sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, wait till it gets nice and soggy, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, now that, uh, now that we're at the end of our, our soggy biscuit, you look down and you're like, there's my soggy biscuit right there. It's a nice little treat. Now, I know we don't have the time to uh, do that all right now. It's what I did earlier today. I rounded up like nine dickheads and uh, jacked them all off into a Gatorade bottle. 
what I did was I poured it all over this Triscuit over there, and I let it get so real hard, solidify, you know what I mean? And I get a little treat here, and I don't want to say too much, but being famous, it affords you certain luxuries. I get to go to the White House Correspondence Center tonight. Guess what? Barack Obama's getting a little treat. Thank you guys for Mm. Hey. <laughs> It'd be horrible if I did the whole story in that voice. All right. Uh, I had Mr. Red. <laughs> the year is 1960. Executive producer Walter Brooks sat at his desk smoking a cigar and wondering which one of his no-account Jew writers was probably a communist. <laughs> When there was a knock on his pebble glass door, it was Teresa, his frumpy potato sack of a secretary, that his wife made him hire so he wouldn't cheat anymore. <laughs> Mr. Brooks, your three o'clock is here, she said with her slack, weak mouth that wasn't very good at sucking dick. <laughs> Great, Teresa, send him in, and I do not want to be disturbed. Yes, Mr. Brooks, she said clichely for this situation. <laughs> Walter sat back in his chair, extinguished his cigar, and, in a, and then um, a cantered in a beautiful golden palomino with a white mane s s uh, shining in the light. You must be Bamboo Harvester, <laughs> he said, the real name of the horse. The horse nodded as if to say, what a great detail to put in your story, Noriko. <laughs> that. What's classic transgressive fiction writer's technique? Before we start, let me just be sure of one thing, Walter said. He walked around his desk, reached under the horse's sturdy haunches, and grabbed at his rapidly unrolling pink Flintstones push pop. This is a huge cock. Harvester had a pretty small cock for a horse, so it was only, you know, actually simply enormous. couldn't contain himself, and he grabbed the Palomino by his huge, hard face and guided its brown nose to his mouth. He started tonguing the stud's nostrils, flicking it away inside and out of it before tongue-jabbing at it while he was trying to press a button. The Palomino whinnied, and then it closed his whole lower face in, uh, in his muscular mouth, painfully clomping away at his chin. Oh yeah, I ate a peanut butter sandwich earlier. Yeah, that's lots of it. I rubbed my body in it. Ain't that skippy? <laughs> I liked it, whatever. Walter unbuckled his belt and let his huge seared-suckered pants drop to the floor. The horse whinnied again and took a step backwards. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Don't make any mistakes here, Harvester. You want the job, right? <laughs> Then you gotta show me your work. you can work on a team. <laughs> He then guided the horse to the casting couch. <laughs> and peeled off his white boxers covered in red polka dots because it's the 60s and that sort of shit flies is funny. <laughs> then revealed a fat, stubby, man, stubby fat man's cock and is painted bright orange like a carrot. <laughs> Time to get your prize, Seabiscuit. <laughs> Now Walter Brooks... 
had a well-chewed penis. Um, he paid countless big-toothed men and men and women over the years to give him a good old-fashioned Republican bone gnawing. Ever since the Korean conflict, when he had to fuck a frozen rat to stay warm, like an American. Soon, his nubby, white, entitled cock was as callous and unfeeling as his party's platform would be for all time. <laughs> and now only sturdy, thick horse teeth were the only thing strong enough to work through the tough, leathery pud that he regularly, that regularly used to strop his razors. <laughs> oh yeah, Walter said. You're better than, you're better than uh, the Budweiser Clydesdales, he groaned. Fuck, you're better than Trigger. <laughs> Who taught you this, Kennedy? <laughs> Too soon, fuck you guys. Suddenly the horse moved his muscular, muscular, muscular weight forward and uh, knocked Walters over the arm of his red leather couch. What the hell kind of trick is this? But before he could protest too much, Bamboo Harvester had packed his self-looping pink pint glass-sized cock into his tight, unsuspecting peanut butter crawler. <laughs> he was going to yell, uh, Walters was going to yell, but the reality of his stretching asshole pushed to unfathomable limits. Was, was the sh uh, he was sure the horse was pressing into his aorta. <laughs> Hello, Walter, the horse said. Who's writing who now, eh? <laughs> As Walter started to complain, the horse smashed his equine dongerino into the into his totally deserving villain's corn basket. <laughs> the future Mr. Ed wore Mr. Brooks like a flesh condom with arms and legs. Walter screamed for crazy animal noises, and, and Teresa pretended not to notice, because fuck him. She was great at sucking dick. Finally, mercifully, the quadruped, quadruped dumped a huge 50 to 75 milliliters of horse cum on average. Into Walter's contused turd hugger. When the horse pulled out, it stayed agape and twitched uh, involuntarily like a Down Syndrome kid in a parked car for too long. <laughs> See you Monday, Walter. He then turned and shit into his open asshole, because why not? Thank you. Pretty good luck. Frozen. <laughs> Do the magic, Elsa. Whispered Anna into her sister's ear. The whole castle's asleep. No one will know. Anna, what time is it? Said Elsa. You know exactly what time it is. Said Anna. She knelt next to her sister's bed, her filmy nightgown billowing around her. It's motherfucking Anna time. Do the magic. Come on, Kristoff is making an ice delivery all the way to the Eastern Kingdom, and he won't be back for days. I have needs. Oh, all right, mumbled Ilsa, sitting up in bed and blearily wiping the sleep out of her eyes. Get ready. Anna clapped her hands and giggled like a schoolgirl. She backed away as Ilsa raised her hands and spun them around each other, weaving a magical snowfall out of the moisture in the air. 
The snow whirled and clumped and crystallized until a six-foot pillar of whiteness stood in the center of the bedroom. Taller, said Anna. (laughs) All right, said Ilsa, and the snow accumulated a little higher. Wider shoulders, said Anna. (laughs) We can carve him some in a minute, said Ilsa. The snow compacted further and twisted and lumped itself up into the shape of a tall, strapping lad. His snowy pecs glistened, and his icy glutes were as firm and smooth as a forest pond in midwinter. Anna squealed with delight. He's perfect, she said. What's his name? The nude snowman came to life before their very eyes. He blinked and stretched and smiled and flexed. Hi, I'm Olaf, he said, and I like warm, yielding mouths. Why didn't you say so, said Anna, dropping to her knees. She grasped Olaf by his snowball butt cheeks and pulled his crotch toward her face, but then stopped. Olaf's nether regions were as smooth and featureless as the tundra. Ilsa, she said, a little help? He's more of a snow person than a snow man right now. (laughs) Right, sorry, said Ilsa, and grabbed a carrot from the drawer of her nightstand. Try this. Perfect, said Anna. She jammed the carrot into Olaf's pelvis, where it stuck, pointing up at an angle like a perfectly thrown lawn dart. <laughs> that looks much better, said Olaf. But doesn't it make you hungry? <laughs> Good thing I'm a vegetarian, said Anna, and she wrapped her mouth around the carrot cock like a horse who hadn't been fed for a month. <laughs> Anna's head worked up and down, and Olaf closed his cold black eyes in ecstasy. Um, guys, said Elsa, I'm still here. <laughs> so join the fun, said Anna, popping her mouth free. Make a snow stud for yourself. I would, but I think I'm out of ice. You can't be out of ice. I thought you could use the water in the air. There is no water in this air, said Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> queried Ilsa. And why were you wearing skin-tight white spandex? Anna added. Wait a minute, said Samuel L. Jackson. This isn't a story about Frozone. <laughs> no, said the sisters in unison. Well, guess what? It is now, said Samuel L. Jackson. As he ripped off what turned out to be white spandex breakaway pants with nothing underneath. <laughs> Let's do this, Ice Castles, he said to Ilsa. One thing, though, baby, the mask stays on. Ilsa shrugged in a when-in-Rome sort of way and bent over. Frozone conjured up a ramp of ice and skated dick-first into her yawning fjord. They went at it like the last two polar bears trying to repopulate the species after global warming. I know, I know, right? That looks like fun, said Olaf. I want to try that. Sounds good to me, said Anna, bending over. No, no, said Olaf. Other way around. He reached under the bed and pulled out a complicated arrangement of leather straps. Then he yanked his carrot wiener free from his torso and snapped it into into place in the center of the leather webbing. Anna understood. 
She scrapped the carrot dildo to her own throbbing loins and bent Olaf over the other side of the bed. Olaf and Ilsa tongue-kissed in the center of the bed while they each got worked from behind. It was, it was so hot that Olaf began to melt, which only made everything slipperier. Anna found that the strap-on carrot was going farther and farther inside him with every thrust. Oh, that's it, said Olaf. That's it. I'm gonna... Um, oh, God! <laughs> Suddenly, Olaf exploded in a cloud of snow and jizz. <laughs> Anna fell forward, startled and off-balance, and the carrot thrust itself directly into her sister's mouth. This sent Ilsa over the edge, and she had a violent, squirting orgasm that spurted out around Sam Jackson's midsection and then froze in midair like a tutu made of ice. (laughs) Then it shattered all over the floor as Sam's own orgasm plowed through it like an icebreaker freeing a pod of stranded sperm whales. (laughs) Ilsa fell forward onto the bed, spent, her ass frosted with Frozone super juices. She looked over her shoulder and laughed. Your jizz is white on my ass tonight. <laughs> Not a boner to be seen. A kingdom of penetration that looks like I'm the queen. Thank you and good night. Dale, 
by Harry Belafonte. What? <laughs> Odd. It's Rain and Men by the Wendigos! Yeah. Alarmed, Adam and, Lydia, Adam and Lydia ran downstairs to see Otho and Barbara and the drag queen, Beetlejuicy. <laughs> Striped socks, leather corset, big white hair, and the style of a sunburst and seven-inch clear heels. <laughs> Beetlejuicy was a sight. She looked at the Lydia and down at her again and said, Oh, nice bangs. Uh, who's watching Hot Topic now that you're here? <laughs> uh, and on to Adam. Oh, this is why you brought me here? Oh, I get it. Oh, yeah, I got this. <laughs> Barbara yelled, I know about you and Lydia. Adam didn't deny it. Beetlejuicy ne- knew, like all queens do, that this was her cue. <laughs> the music started again. The weather girls zombified now, popped out of the fire. Beauty Beetlejuicy released her snake-like tongue and licked Adam's face and wrapped around his manly neck. <laughs> this is sexy. <laughs> she drew him closer and said, Wanna dance? Beetlejuicy ripped off all of Adam's clothes and also nearly fainted. <laughs> that rug of manly fur going down to a treasure trail painted, pointing to Beetlejuice, the Beetlejuicy prize. Ooh, girl, can I have this? And then Adam tried to protest, but his mouth seemed dry and his body hadn't been actually touched in years. Beetlejuicy's tongue made him shudder. Adam's butthole began to flex wantonly. (laughs) Take me, Beetlejuicy. (laughs) (laughs) Beetlejuicy obliged. She turned Adam over and dove headfirst into his butthole. She became a snake just in time and then began pounding and pounding and pounding with her snake face. She always went her way around her his intestines and then popped up out of his mouth and looked longingly into Barbara's face. <laughs> That's when uh, Adam ejaculated a puff of ghostly white seed. <laughs> He looks at he looks at Barbara and he says, "I'm coming for you next." <laughs> hmm. That's it. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and then, and then, she looked over at Otho, who was already naked. But Otho was like, "No, I did it myself this time. It's, it's okay. He's fine. No, I'm ready. I'm ready." And Barbara was also now eager for the fulfillment of finally having a powerful lover. Adam, I think we're really dead. Eight if you were counting snowman, I want to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okie doke. Uh, all right, there's my uh, uh, story about Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Frederick Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, had just completed his morning routine. He neatly folded his pajamas and placed them in the appropriate place in the dresser. He went downstairs and, after taking a big, deep breath of fresh air, of course, went to enjoy halved grapefruit and plain toast at the kitchen table. He got out the newspaper and read Family Circus and the obituaries. Then threw the rest of the newspaper into the garbage can because this was 1986 and recycling hadn't been invented yet. He put fresh crew socks in the enormous microwave to warm them up and put on his sweater for the day. It was Tuesday, and the day was odd-numbered, so he delicately selected a canary cardigan. And after slowly and sensually pulling it over his neat haircut, he looked into the mirror and reminded himself out loud that he was not a pedophile. And that if anyone ever thinks he is a pedophile because of his concern over the emotional well-being of children, then perhaps there is just something wrong with their own emotional well-being. He told himself that people were only so hard on each other because they only wanted to impress one another while also getting genital attention, which he wasn't too interested in. His purpose in this life was to change society with gentleness and compassion. In other words, it was another beautiful day in the neighborhood. Fred's wife, however, had a different routine. Usually she had only had a few hours of sleep because the night before she would be really, really horny and then nothing would happen. <laughs> the night before had always become, it just become routine. She would try to get Fred hard with her hand, then with her mouth, all while whispering positive things about relevant social change into his ear. <laughs> he would, as usual, lay there flaccid, staring at the ceiling, his hands neatly folded on his chest. Eventually, Fred would turn to his wife and say with deliberate energy, I understand you are sexually aroused right now. At this moment, I shall, as your husband, dutifully arrange for blood to flow to my penis so that we might partake in intercourse. It was the phrase she was dying to hear every night, and it let her down every time. On their wedding night, he glided his appropriately turgid cock into her vagina, and instead of moving back and forth or doing anything whatsoever to actually fuck, he said this, I hope that you enjoy that I have entered you. Good night. And he would fall asleep with his dick inside of her. She put up with this for a year. Sure, he would eventually come, but only subconsciously. She felt sure that something terrible had happened to him sexually when he was young. He did look twice that one time when he saw dogs fucking. Maybe he wanted to fuck dogs. Sure, I'd be into that, she told herself. I'll accept anything at this point, just as long as this goddamn tall drink of boring actually fucks me. Not that she hadn't tried almost everything. One time she surprised him when he came back home from a shoot by waiting for him naked in the kitchen, and she sucked his dick greedily, really hard, while he absentmindedly gazed out the window and admired a blue jay perched on a neighbor's fence. A bluebird on our neighbor's fence is beautiful and nice, and it just makes sense. Ugh, 
she yelled, sexually frustrated. She stood up, left him standing there in the kitchen with his weak dick hanging out of his pants, went out to the back porch, pried a cinder block out of the planter, brought it into the it brought it to the entrance of the guest room, and after scraping off dirt and worms from its base, balanced on the cinder block and backed her adult snatch onto an antique doorknob. <laughs> He had caught her numerous times masturbating with antique furniture. He would just stand there and watch, himself like a piece of antique furniture. Maybe that was the attraction. She was always rubbing herself, rubbing random objects onto herself. It reminded her of being grounded. And it wasn't fair, also, their love relationship. His love for her felt generic by the simple fact that he expressed profound love, profound and moving love for all people, strangers, convicts, even children. So the apparent gravity with which he returned her emotional pleading cannot be interpreted in any other way than hollow and meaningless. And the fucked up thing was, all of this still turned her on. But this Tuesday morning, she was going to play things different. She wanted to get off, and she didn't give a flying fuck about his boundaries. Besides, it was eight in the morning, she was out of meds, on a few hours of sleep, and her clip was so hard you'd think it served time in an American penitentiary. just put on his socks, had taken another deep and satisfying breath, and was about to leave on his daily walk around the neighborhood so he can smile and wave at literally everyone. But before Fred could leave the room, Mrs. Rogers grabbed him by the back of his sweater and using an improvised Aikido move, threw him bodily onto the bed he had just neatly made. Before he could move, she leaped onto him like a jungle cat, pinning his arms to the bed with her shins as she raped his honest face with her throbbing gash. It looked like he had something important to say to her in that moment, so she pulled away from his mouth. Hello, honey, he said cheerfully. <laughs> Attempting to mask his obvious dismay at the ongoing intimacy with his wife. Isn't it a beautiful day? A beautiful day, my asshole, she yelled, reaching back and punching him in the bunch. Fred cried out in actual pain. The genuine human reaction from him got her turned on really, really hard. His screams were getting so loud he could surely be heard by the neighbors. And that was when Fred said, Stop this! I don't, I don't, I don't want the neighbors to hear! Honey, the neighbors! The neighbors can hear me having sex! You ain't even having sex right now, you idiot, she roared. She was only pushing her knuckles into his crotch. She reached across their opulent bed and grabbed his canary cardigan and stuffed it into his mouth. Chug on this. Chug on this, you dickless loser. Oh no, not the neighbors. You want to offend the fucking goddamn neighbors. What about me? What about this neighbor? All right, fucking special. She was cramming the cardigan down his polite, well-spoken throat when something amazing happened. Fred started getting hard. He cried from the other side of the sweater. Cried from the other side of the sweater, his balls shrinking up as his inoffensive genital righted itself. Yeah, he was getting turned on. She started to ride her husband, unconcerned with the manipulation involved in getting him hard and inside of her. Then he began sucking the canary cardigan with gusto, like a baby, like a baby pig. Sucking its dad's dick. (laughs) 
She rode violently for a minute or so, though, until she realized she was losing interest. For some reason, seeing him aroused turned her off. He looked kind of demented with that yellow sweater stuffed into his mouth. It's like he didn't even need her. He had lines appearing on his forehead she hadn't seen before. The same lines that appeared on Ronald Reagan's forehead when Mr. Rogers had dinner at the White House and tried to teach the president about compassion. (laughs) Basically, Fred looked like a demented, fucked up little boy, laying there in the fetal position with a cardigan stuffed in his mouth. And he began humming the theme to his stupid TV show. Mrs. Rogers then sat down at the foot of the bed like a heap of laundry. She didn't want to cheat on him again. Didn't want to fuck Roy anymore, the bartender from the waterfront dive bar where she usually got her rocks off. She looked at her stupid, naive, gentle husband humming the tune of his own show. As buckets of cum ruined their $800 comforter. And she wept like a child. Sandy Smith was born in Dayton, Ohio at the age of one. Breaking most records for longest time in womb. She was a mama's girl by nature. So when it came time for her senior year of high school graduation and the college decision, she looked back at her accomplishments and found them to be mostly crafts, most of which were different sized odd size. <laughs> so she asked her mom if she'd go to the library to use the computer, and there she found the internet. On it, she searched life coach, but the first hit that came back to her was Coachella. What is Coachella, she thought. So she began reading and found out that it was at 81 to 800 Avenue 51, Indio, California, 92201. She wrote this address down, and then she called the number 323-930-5700. But their business hours were at 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., and she didn't know the extension for the party she was trying to reach, and all she just wanted to do was party. It was then that she started smelling a skunk. Or was it? Who's to know? Her mom never let her go outside. You see, as a child that spent an extra year in the womb, her mom worried that she was too developed. Beyond her years even, and her mom only wanted her to experience the things in life at the proper time, not a minute too early, which left her with no excitement. But one thing we all know about protective moms is that their kids are going to go do a bunch of drugs, fuck a ton of dudes, and probably some respectable ladies. And then, and then not call home for several years. Oops. The skunk. The skunk? Hold on. The skunk smell was a man smoking a dube in the library. His name was Crow. And after looking at her computer screen, he said, You thinking about going to Coachella? (laughs) And Sandy said, No, I don't know. I have to ask my mom. She probably won't let me. Plus, is it expensive? Oh, yeah. Don't ask your mom. It's real dumb. (laughs) 
have any money, tickets are like a couple hundred bucks, and you're going to have to pay for gas out there, hotel, sleeping bag, face paint, drugs, clothes made out of animal skins and glow sticks. <laughs> We're also going to need to dread your hair. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'm ready for all this. You think $13,000 is enough? <laughs> all I do is go to school, get all A's, and then go to my job as the youngest bank teller at the Bank of America. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you what. Give me $12,000 and I'll sell you my hog and you can take it cross-country for your very own into the wild, you know, but don't eat the berries and die. Be careful. (laughs) Okay. And you should probably change your name to something cool. You know, it's like your mom can't track you. How about Redwood Arrow? It's perfect. Go to your bank, I'll drive you on the motorcycle, then you can give me the money, I'll teach you how to use a kickstand, and then you'll be set to go. <laughs> Redwood Hero transformed in an instant. It was like the montage from her favorite movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> when Robin Williams turned in all those different characters that Aunt Jack made, or was it Uncle Harry? Sid's long blonde hair was dyed red, and Crow helped her dread it to make it more like someone who would be named Redwood Arrow. Crow put her in one of his black leather vests, cut his leather pants into shorts for her, and they spent about two hours beating different friendship bracelets for Redwood to give to people along her journey. He gave her directions to the first stop on her journey to Indio, California, where she would get some psychedelics. At this point, she didn't even know what musicians were playing the concert, Coachella. Her favorite band was Lisa Loeb in the Nine Stories. <laughs> it was the next morning that Crow sent her the first leg of her journey. It was just—it was just in time because her mom started to walk the neighborhood with missing signs, and the police were on the lookout. Thankfully, her mom never let her have a cell phone, so she didn't call her. Her first stop was to get drugs at Crow's uncle Elk's cabin in Kansas City. He made his own drugs. <laughs> Redwood was about five hours into her motorcycle trip. Her dreads held her, hem- her helmet on tight and her vest and shorts didn't keep her warm at all. <laughs> so when she spotted a guy in a sheepskin coat on the side of 70 West just outside of St. Louis, she pulled over and asked if uh, she could give him some money for it. Instead of answering with words, he just took it off and wrapped it around her. She smiled. He smiled. She put one of her friendship bracelets on him and then untucked his shirt, which was a uniform for a pest control company. <laughs> His name was Zip. (laughs) Zip, she thought. This could be my husband. (laughs) He nodded as if to say, can I come along? But she interpreted that. She interpreted it that way because uh, he still hadn't said a word. She motioned sure by extending her arm out and then pulling it back closer to her body. There were about four hours left until they reached Kansas City, and she wasn't sure how she felt about psychedelic drugs, but it would be nice to have someone to stay with since she never met Uncle Elk. She hardly knew Zip either, but it was her first adventure, and, you know, she can't always be right. And then she said to herself, I'm ready to leave Sandy Smith behind. I'm Redwood Arrow, and I want to get fucked. (laughs) Zip couldn't hear, uh, because he was deaf. As the bike vibrated between her thighs and her arms were outstretched from the high handlebars, Zip wrapped his arms around her waist. 
She had gotten to listen to the, that juvenile song, Back That Ass Up, for about 30 seconds before her mom came in and ripped the cord out of the wall through her stairs and sat down the stairs and hit her with a shoe. So she decided she might try to just back that thing up onto Zip's crotch since it was so close. Or at least that's where she thought his penis was. But she'd only heard about penises from the other girls, the other senior girls in class who would talk about all the dicks they sucked over the weekend. And different tricks they learned from Cosmo magazine about pleasing a man and not knowing they were supposed to come as well. <laughs> well, it was time to put some of those things to use. But she didn't have a chance. Zip had already started to make room for his tiny hands and her pants. He fought through the five inches of untrimmed bush, and before she knew it, his tiny little pest fighting body was completely pressed up against hers. And gyrating with a bike in the open road, kind of like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian video. She only got to see 25 seconds of it before her mom came into the library and beat the computer with a bat and then hit her with a vacuum. Another hour passed, she could hardly take it. They were struggling to stay seated on the bike because it was dripping with cum. It was then that Zip reached around a little further and slid his tiny hand completely inside her dripping wet puss. She didn't know what to think. Zip was making different shapes with his fingers inside of her body. There was a sensation that she hadn't felt since the last time she straddled the tub in her mother's bathroom and humped it after seeing that scene in Far and Away where Nicole Kidman lifts up the bowl and reveals how he penis. Redwood really focused hard and tried to figure out what Zip was trying to say with his fingers. He was signing! Oh my goodness! Zip is deaf! I wonder how long he's been talking about Redwood. Thankfully, she could sign. It was the only thing her mom had taught her at home because they had three deaf poodles. She really focused and made it on an I and then an N followed by an E, another E, and then a D, and then it took what seemed like hours of fingering to spell out the rest. And decoding it all was the hardest unstandardized test that Redwood had ever taken. He had signed the following into her pussy. I need adventure and music and to get away from my pest control job outside of St. Louis. Thank you for picking me up. I want to do drugs and go to, like, Coachella or something. <laughs> By the time she was done figuring it out, no words had ever been spoken between Zip and Redwood, and they reached Kansas City. She left Zip on the bike while she ran in to get the psychedelics from Uncle Elk. But when she got there, Elk was tied up to his bed post, and no one else was to be found. Hello, I'm Redwood Arrow. Crow sent me to pick up your homemade drugs. Oh, yeah, said Elk. But first, I need you to blow me. I've never done that before, said Redwood. And he said, oh, shit, never mind. Then the pouch, he said, just take the pouch on the bongo drum to my right. There's some moonshine on top of my refrigerator keg in the kitchen. A front of crows is a front of mine. Have fun. Redwood signed thank you to him and then left a friendship bracelet on the bongo. Uncle Elk got an instant boner and then she scurried out. This is the end. <laughs> Window.
when she walked out, Zip was standing there completely naked. She signed, what are you doing? And he signed, I want you right now. And then she said, but will you be able to get your penis inside me with this huge bush I have? And then Zip whipped out his penis, and it was ten inches long. Flaccid. Oh, great. That seems long enough. She stepped out of her leather shorts and kept her vest on because she was pretty self-conscious about her nips. Zip grabbed her dreads like a harness on a horse and turned her around, and then he motorboated the shit out of her butt cheeks. He came up from her crack looking like he'd eaten a pile of pop mud. He wiped away her poop and then laid her gingerly on the grass. He stood between her legs, shoeless and naked, and he put his big toe inside her vagina. That feels good. <laughs> Zip smiled and his teeth never looked wider against the shit around his mouth. <laughs> he, leaned, <laughs> he leaned down over and inserted his ten and a half inch penis. It grew a half inch as it hardened. And, and began undulating back and forth. Redwood came instantly and screamed so loud that Uncle Oak thought someone was being killed in his front yard. <laughs> so he ripped himself out of his shackles from his bedpost, grabbed his shotgun and came running out on the porch, firing a warning shot, but Zip couldn't hear. (laughs) And he just kept fucking her over and over again until she screamed louder and louder and the whole neighborhood was surrounding them. All the moms and dads and children and teachers in Kansas City were standing around them in a sort of fuck circle. As Uncle Elk Elk held a shotgun now to Zip's head. Zip was so scared that he thrust all the way up into Redwood and shish kebabbed her. She stopped breathing because he punctured her lungs. When Uncle Elk listened for a breath, it wasn't there, and he shot Zip in the forehead. His brain splattered all over her body like paint that rich white college kids put on their faces at Coachella. Ironically, they would never get to go. That is the modern-day Romeo and Juliet story of Zip and Redwood. <laughs> That's fine. I'm going to go around to the back Our body count is at 10. Interesting. All right. I will remind you of what everybody read, and then we will vote on a winner. We started with Sean Jordan with Martha Stewart. Then, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sean Jordan with Martha Stewart. Noriko Ott with Mr. Ed. Paul J. with Frozen. Uh, Christine Levine with Beetlejuice. Christian Ricketts with Mr. Rogers. And Beth Stelling with Coachella. So, pick a favorite. Goddamn important. Pick a favorite, starting with Sean Jordan, Martha Stewart. Nariko Ott, Mr. Ed. Paul J. Frozen. Christine Levine, Beetlejuice. Christian Ricketts, Mr. Rogers. Best-selling Coachella. 
That does it for round two. To hear round one from this show, you can go back and download episode 80. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate on iTunes. It's a big help, as are positive comments. Upcoming live shows include August 17th at our new home in L.A., The Virgil. Those shows are all free. August 25th at the Capital City Theater in Salem, Oregon. August 29th at the Rendezvous in Seattle. And plenty more coming up. For more details, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or follow the show at CE Fanfic. See you next time. Now leaving Nerdist.com.